now it gets serious. <laughs> we will open with a prayer. Can everyone hear me? Yes. Okay. Sort of. Can everyone hear me now? Okay. I'll talk closer. Hmm. We will begin with a prayer. I did not write this. God did. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, may everything we do begin with your inspiration and continue with your saving help. Let our work always find its origin in you and through you reach perfect completion. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This is water. Stone cold sober. So, um, like Allison said, it is, um, it really is wonderful that you guys are here, that you took time out of your schedules. I know all of you are busy. I was talking to one person from Fredericksburg. Now that, I told her, even though I'm not allowed to say this, I told her she probably is going to go straight to heaven. <laughs> not because she came to see me, but because she's dealt with the traffic, which I think is a wonderful thing. And as Allison said, um, uh, I'm a new priest, so if this talk is terrible, it's because I'm new. And... Um, Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm from the area. I'm at the Church of the Nativity, so um, anyone that's not from the Church of the Nativity, I don't really have to care about you. <laughs> I'm sure there's a more theological way of saying that. But, but um, So tonight, um, my talk is entitled The Ten Do's and Don'ts of Apologetics and Evangelization. So I wanted to start with, um, with uh, a scripture passage, then some introductory remarks, tell a story about why I'm talking about this particular topic, and then I'll get into the, the, the ten. Okay? And then I guess we'll have time at the end for, for questions and answers. Although, you might have none, because my ten might have completely covered everything you ever have wanted to know about evangelization, so we'll see. But uh, the scripture passage that I wanted to read is from 1 Peter chapter 3. If after all you should have to suffer in the cause of right, yours is a blessed lot. Do not be afraid or disturbed at their threats. Enthrone Christ as Lord in your hearts. If anyone asks you to give an account of the hope which you cherish, be ready at all times to answer for it, but do it with courtesy and due reverence. And I know, um, just as an intro, uh, you know, kind of an introductory remark, I recognize that everyone here is not at the same stage of their journey of faith. There may very well be people here that are not Catholic, questioning any number of things. There might be people here that are praying, you know, 15 rosaries a day. People are in different stages of faith, and I recognize that. But I, the thing I want to start by affirming is the fact that 
no matter where you are in the journey of faith, you are here tonight. God has brought you by one road or another, has brought you here tonight. And one thing that gives me... Now, remember, I'm a new priest, so I do not have a lot of experience in events like this. But um, I want you to know, as a priest, this is very, very impressive. To look out on a Monday night, a work night, you guys could be doing a thousand other things. But you're here to learn about something that will lead you closer to God. And that's a wonderful thing. And I think the thing you should also do for yourselves is you guys look around at this room. Because if you remember nothing of what I say tonight, you can at least remember that you are not the only person that cares about growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's something profound. Um, so I wanted to tell you my story. Where did this talk come from? Or where did it, what, what inspired me? So I am um, the youngest in my family. So I have the benefit of watching all of my older siblings go through their lives and, and do things. And one thing I love listening to is my, my siblings talk about their work life. They all do different things. Um, and I have one sister that works for the federal government. And, you know, I sit in awe listening, you know, oh, wow, she has to wake up at, you know, what, at 5.30 to get on the metro bus, to get to the train, to get to the transfer at the Pentagon, to go into, and then to walk. And she, you know, I'm amazed by that because I've never had to do that. I roll out of bed and I'm at work, you know. <laughs> but, um, but I've listened to her, and the one thing that she has said over the years that has, quite frankly, floored me, she said, um, I work in a building of 800 people. And she's worked at this building for, I think she's been at this job for maybe 15 years, 10 years, maybe 10 years. She said, I work at a building of 800 people. And during that time, there have been holy days, Ash Wednesday, there have been, t you know, just regular days. She said, during that time, she has found two people out of the 800 that practice any sort of faith. Two people. And she, te she said to me, she said, I like the work that I do, but you don't know how hard it is to go to a job and feel like you are completely alone when it comes to being a person of faith. You can't talk to anyone about anything of substance because they live, oftentimes, completely different lives with totally different priorities. And she said the hardest people to talk to are the people that were raised Catholic. They know everything. They've done everything. And they're just too good for it. And she said, it is really, really hard because every part of me wants to talk about this. Maybe not explicitly. Like I say, are you praying the rosary? But every part of me wants to talk about something of substance that is meaningful to the human person, whatever you are. She says, I don't even know how to start. So that got me thinking. Because I don't know all of you or where you work, but I think this is a statement of fact. All of us, in one way or another, recognize 
that there are people in our lives that would be made better if they heard about the message and the salvation that Jesus Christ brings. But then there's the gap between knowing that they need to hear it and then someone saying it to them. Preaching. So that's kind of what laid this thought in my mind. Because this is something for all of us to remember. This is a reality. In one way or another, all of us are confronted with this situation. Maybe not at work. Maybe it's with friends. Maybe it's with, hey, maybe it's with ourselves. We know that we need to grow. Maybe it's with family members or roommates. The thing that we need to start with before going into the points, the practical points, is to remember the general reality about who we are as Christians, who we are as Catholic. Pope, um, blessed, blessed Pope uh, Paul VI wrote an encyclical, Evangelii Nunciandi, about the announcing of the gospel. And what he said in there was the church is fundamentally missionary. That is who we are. We are proclaimers. No matter where you are in your journey of faith, if you are a baptized person, you are a missionary. If you feel you have no other role in life or no other role in, in the church, you always have that. You are called to preach. To preach the message of Jesus Christ in big ways and in small ways. Then going about, the how to go about doing that is the difficult part. So, this is the truth. We are all called to be missionaries. Not just the priests, not just the nuns, not just the people that work at the church. Everyone. Every single person. And I want, I'll just say this. So I think about my sister as she goes into that, that job. This is the same for you guys. This is a reality of your dignity. Your dignity. If I tried to go into my sister's office two things would happen. Number one, which is usually what happens when people see a priest, is, oh my gosh, death and judgment are coming. Uh, don't make eye contact. You're going to have to go to seminary. You'll become a celibate automatically. You know, so people just turn away. Okay? That's the one reaction. Or the other reaction that's more likely, I would be stopped by security and probably shot. You know? What is this weirdo doing? He's dressed all in black. He probably is dangerous. Okay? I cannot go where you guys go. I can't. There are people and situations where no priest or nun or worker in the church could ever go. And yet even in those situations, the gospel is meant to be preached. That's why the church, when she speaks about we are missionary, she then calls, she says there's a universal call to holiness. And there's an apostolate of the lay faithful. That's what you all are. I mean, I, I'm assuming there aren't any hidden nuns or priests out there, right? Okay. So you all are the laity. That's not like second-class citizen in the church. That is of equal dignity. Because you do a work that I cannot do. That no priest can do. Because I always tell my sister this. I say, you like your work, but you are able to go somewhere I and no priest will ever go. You preach to people that I would never even be able to have a conversation with. They will listen to you because you speak their language, you live their life, you do their work, and you have a credibility that I will never have. 
I will be written off, but they will listen to you. And that goes for all of you. Whether you're in public school, or whether you're lawyers, or doctors, or students, or truck drivers, lawn care workers, whatever you are, moms, whatever you are, that's your role. You are a missionary. And remember that, because you are able to go somewhere and to preach a message that is not ever going to be preached by anyone else. You have an irreplaceable work in the world. If that doesn't give you a little bit of oomph when you get up in the morning, I don't know what will. Maybe an extra shot of coffee or something. <laughs> but, so, we understand that. Theology is the study of God. It's the truth of our faith. It's the scriptures, it's the sacraments, it's what we teach, it's what we pray, it's what we learn. But then there's the reality of communicating it. So apologetics and evangelization is the co-worker of theology. Apologetics is a Greek word. It doesn't mean to you know, say sorry for things. Apologetics is to give a defense of the truth, a reason defense. It shows that you and people like you have thought about this. These are not just like random fantasy. Oh, well, you want to know what? What if we, uh, what if we just have a guy in the first century get born from, I don't know, maybe a virgin? That sounds cool. How about we believe that and go run around and say that to people? That'll, that'll win a lot of fans. This isn't just some fantasy that came out of nowhere. The, book of the, the books of the Bible were not just written on a whim. There's reason behind everything that we believe. And apologetics is preaching that, offering that to people to say, hey, we're not just crazy nut jobs that want to, you know, you know, we need to like make ourselves feel comfortable about the uncertainties of life so we say there's a heaven. No, there's reasons for what we believe. That should give us strength. So to offer a reasoned defense of our faith is part of who we are as Christians. That's part of being missionaries, to, to study and to teach, to preach. So apologetics, if that's what it is, if that's what it's part of who we are, it requires, and this is going to sound like a bad word, work. It requires work. Jesus didn't just wing what he was doing. All of the saints and all of the great Christians that have preceded us don't just wing it. It requires work. It requires effort. St. Augustine would say, pray as if, as if everything depends on God, but then work as if everything depended upon you. You have to do your part. And so this list, and now, and now we'll follow the list of the ten do's and don'ts. I'll start with the don'ts, and then the do's, and then a brief explanation. This is just to kind of get you to think about the practical implication of what you are called to do as missionaries, as apologists, as bearers of the good news that the world needs to hear. Some of them are going to be more concrete than others, some of my suggestions. But I think through prayer that all of them are things that need to be kept in mind. Okay? So we'll start with the first. The first is don't be afraid. But do trust that God has called you to preach Him in all that you do. Think about the scriptures. Moses... Jeremiah, what was the first thing they said when they were called by God? Oh, I, I don't speak well, I'm not old enough, I don't know enough. 
Think about the apostles. Jesus surrounded himself with 12 of the most ordinary guys, and some of them were downright losers. That's a statement of fact. And yet, even though they all started with a position of fear, look what God did with them, with Moses, and with Jeremiah, and with the apostles. Look at what God can do, even with someone who doesn't know anything, isn't smart enough, doesn't have all the right answers, isn't the best looking. God can do great things. So, one person, you, willing to do the work, willing to do something as small as speak, you can change the world. And I'm not using that as a trite phrase. Little acts of kindness, little words of truth, change the world. Chipu, Archbishop Chipu, he's up in Philadelphia. He said, the world recognizes that Christians are different. They preach something different. And he said, the great lie of the enemy is that if Christians were really as powerless as the world says we are, the world would not be compelled to turn so many Christians into martyrs. We speak a truth. So the first thing is to recognize that we do not need to be afraid because we have God with us. That's the first thing. To change our mentality from being on the defense. Oh, I, I, I couldn't possibly say something. I couldn't possibly invite someone to do something. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Number two, don't be afraid to live or talk in a way that is obviously Catholic. But do live a life of faith so that people, when they see you, they will see a person, a person of faith, certainly, but a person with whom they can speak. And this goes back to what I said about my sister. Daily witness matters. You don't have to be walking around, you know, carrying a huge statue of Our Lady of Fatima <laughs> in a, through your workplace, because I'm sure that you would be treated like me. Please, thank you, weirdo, you know, out of the room, out of the building. <laughs> daily witness, daily integrity, being a good worker, a person of kindness and compassion, a person that is seen to take the tenets of the faith truthfully and to live them with joy. So, in the workplace, in school, being a faithful witness, being consistent in what you say and how you live and then how you treat other people, and how you, how you interact even with people that disagree with you, all of that is so much more effective than if you post a thousand things on Facebook or, you know, I don't know, stand up at, at every hour on the hour and just shout a Bible verse or something. <laughs> Being a faithful witness, I mean, you could do that. That's another way, I guess, to get shown out of the building. But, um, but being a faithful witness is... It opens doors. When pe and let me, let me be very clear with this. I don't want to sound you know, a weird. Well, no, I, this won't sound weird. I don't want to sound mean. If you are weird about the faith, people will see the faith as weird. I think I, everyone probably agrees with that, right? That's not, I'm not saying anything, okay? If you are weird about the faith, if it appears as if the faith is something extra to who you are or something that makes you 
like an extraterrestrial or something. If it, if it, if it is weird or, or unnatural, then it will come across to other people as weird and unnatural. So I'll use Paul VI again. Modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. And if he does listen to teachers, it was because they were witnesses first. Live the faith, and then people will listen. Because they know that you have something to say because you are willing to live it first. Talk is cheap. Number three, do not view the preaching of the gospel as simply an academic endeavor. But do view it as a spiritual work of mercy, a spirit-driven work of evangelization, of proclamation. The temptation, when talking about the faith, if any of you have ever been asked a question about the faith, the temptation is to immediately find the absolute right answer. If I, you know, the perfect equation that if you add it up and you carry all the ones, you will get God, right? <laughs> and you have to say it perfectly, you have to articulate it perfectly, there can be no loose ends, and boom! You know, if you follow all these steps, you will be a Catholic, right? That's the temptation. Not necessarily a bad way to start. I'm not saying you have to, but that's not, that's, that's something that is ordered towards something good. But the temptation is to stop right there. Cold, hard truth. This is what it is. And I'm going to say this. Oftentimes, this is a temptation, particularly for those that have, have converted to the Catholic faith, or people that have had very strong reversions to the Catholic faith, because many times they're incre excuse me, incredibly intelligent. So they have reasoned their way back. They have, they have read their way oftentimes into the, arms of the, into the arms of Christ, really. But sometimes that comes across as too much for the average person that you're speaking to, especially in an initial conversation just beating them over the head with facts and dates and Bible quotes. That's a lot to process. And I'll say this, that reason, what we think, all of that reason has to do its work, of course. We have to be able to show that what we believe is not contrary to what is reasonable. But ultimately, what we are speaking about is the infinite God. We will never be able to box God into a perfect equation. It cannot be done. It cannot be done. So, you can't explain everything. Just accept that. You can't explain everything. And, you know, you're not going to be able to create an equation that will lead to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this in the normal situation. Any of you that are dating... Can you explain to me rationally and using only reason and all making sure all of your corners are tight and why you love the person that you love? Explain to me reasonably why that is the case. You can't explain love. You can start on that, but you're not going to exhaust it just by some sort of equation. Faith is a relationship. A relationship with a God who is love. And so that translates into how we speak about it. Um, so yeah, 
and I, I'll, I'll, I'll end this point with talking about the fact that faith is, not, is, is a gift. You know, we talk about faith as a virtue, but faith is a gift from God. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. We don't, you know, we don't like dig deep enough and then, you know, there it is. Faith is a gift. So we, we offer what we have been given and then we pray that others will receive it. It's not something you can beat down on someone or prove totally. Reason does its work. But there also has to be room for the heart. Okay? Well, this is the last point. That was the end of one page. I didn't realize there was another point on this one. So, <laughs> and use really big font. You need to begin theology and apologetics on your knees. If you do not know whom you are preaching, which is God, and you cannot know him unless you speak to him and interact with him through prayer and through the sacraments, if you do not know him through prayer, nothing that you say will be effective because you will be preaching something empty, right? There must be a relationship for you to be able to speak from experience and to offer something to someone else. It must be alive. Otherwise, what exactly are you saying? That was number three. Number four, do not view conversations about the faith as battles to be won or the person that you're speaking to as the enemy to be conquered. But do see this as an encounter aimed at leading a fellow human being, a fellow child of God, to the truth. So Peter Kreeft, great philosopher. Did I just get louder? Oh, I did. Okay. I'm not going crazy. Wow. Amazing. The priesthood. Peter, Peter Kreeft, he said, remember that the purpose of apologetics is not just to win the head, but to win the heart through the head. And this is key. This is key in any conversation. But this is particularly key about conversations about the faith. You need to begin from a position of charity. Assume Always the absolute best about the person with whom you are speaking. Always. And treat them with the utmost dignity. Because if you start yelling, if you start battling, if you start getting flustered, it's, oh my gosh, they disagree with me, so I must beat them with the truth. I must have more facts than they do, and more whatever. Again, a relationship. Always assume the best. And... You don't have to assume anything about the other person. A person might introduce themselves and, introduce themselves and say, you know, I am a, I don't know, uh, an atheist. You don't have to plug them into a box. Well, all atheists believe this, and all atheists need to be treated like this. You are talking to an individual with individual gifts, individual experiences, and called to a relationship in a uniquely individual way with Jesus Christ. So speak to them that way. Don't put people in boxes because that usually results in wrong assumptions and then kind of like the objectification of the other person as the enemy. Okay? And 
Archbishop Sheen said, you know a good salesman if they buy their own product. So if you are talking about a relationship with love with another person, but you are yelling that relationship with them and you're angry and you're frustrated and mean, what exactly are you calling them to? They'll look at you and say, is this how Christians are? That looks horrible. I don't want any part of that. So buy your own product. They are looking at you first and foremost, like Pope Paul VI said, to be a witness. And they will listen to you and your teaching because you are witnessing first. They will see that you have something that they want. And then you're able to offer it. Number four. There are five. Maybe I'll just keep saying number four. The list will never end. <laughs> number five. Don't wing it. But do actually study something. Sometime. This is always the key. I've said this at the parish. I actually laugh to myself. I know that we have at least one person that's in medical school here. I don't know if there are. Are there other doctors? You know, medical students? People? Nurses? You know others? Okay. Well, if you don't know, if you're not in medical school, you know doctors. Play this game with me, okay? If I went up to a doctor and started asking medical questions, or he started talking about something medical, it's like, well, you know, I'm terrible at science. I'm trying to remember biology. What's, what's something that's... Uh, uh, your kidney. Okay, first organ that came to mind. Your kidney. Started talking about kidneys. You know, and is blabbing away about the science of kidneys and surgery and stuff. And I'd be like, oh, doctor, please. You don't need to explain anything more. I took freshman biology. I've got it all down. He'd look at you and say, uh, okay. What we do in, uh, like you would want your doctor, I would hope, you would want your doctor to have, I don't know, maybe studied a little bit more than just freshman biology, maybe, maybe even into college or medical school, and then have a little bit of practice. But we look to people to be experts, right? We want the best. And we know that in order to be the best, you have to put some time into learning some things. Now let's shift over, and, and this is the case for any sort of professional thing. Any sort of professional Hey, I'm, I'm even watching our bartenders walk around in the back. If you didn't know anything about beer, you didn't know how to work the, the it's not oxygen, what do you call it? <laughs> the little, what's it called? Car carbonation? Oh, that makes sense, yeah. But I know it's like you gotta turn it on, it's gotta, okay. If you knew nothing about that, you just learned about beer like when you were in high school. We want, no matter, when you were in Europe. Um, yeah, bad example, but that was not an, a confession. That was, um, but you want, in our in our day-to-day -day lives, we recognize that in order to speak from, from, with any sort of authority about something, it requires us to do the work to know things. What is often the case when it comes to the faith? And I hear this a lot. I'll start talking about anything, anything. We'll say about Christmas. I'll start saying, well, did you know this thing about Christmas? Oh, Father, I went to eight years of religious education. 
I know everything about Christmas. I, I, I went to, I, I, I was an altar server. That's always the death knell. I was an altar server. Okay, you know, okay. And I, I always laugh to myself because it's just like saying, I know, I know everything about medicine. I, did, I, did, I, I took biology in freshman year. That's wonderful. You have an elementary level knowledge of the faith. That is a wonderful start. And if that's where it ended, well, shame on you. Frankly, shame on you. So, I don't want to stand up here and lecture, but let me lecture you. Shame on you. <laughs> but this is an invitation. You would not want your doctor to operate on a freshman level knowledge of biology. If the faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ because it has eternal significance. It deals with souls, not with bodies. If this is something that is, by, de by definition, infinitely more important than the functioning of your kidney, would you not want the people that believe that to have some sort of knowledge about what they're talking about? I certainly would. I certainly would. And so that's a challenge for you. Winging things kills people's desire for the faith. Because it just does. If you just spout off stuff that's wrong, or something that you remember from eighth grade. I remember, I'll, I'll tell you this. I went into the religious ed class at our school. I can't remember if this, this child was in maybe fourth or fifth grade. And they raised his hand and he said, Father, I remember that my kindergarten religious ed teacher, so he's going back five years, my kindergarten religious ed teacher says that anyone who commits suicide disappears when they die. It is as if they never existed. That's how much God hates them. He remembered that. Now, why were they talking about suicide in kindergarten? I don't know. <laughs> were they talking about suicide? Was this just something that he vaguely remembered? But let's assume the best about this child. We'll assume the best about the teacher, and maybe the teacher misspoke. But something spoken from ignorance Look at how it stuck with that kid to the point where he had to wait until he was in fourth grade because he knew someone that committed suicide. And he wanted to know, did they disappear because God hated them? And to stand and look at this kid and say, of course not. That's not true. And no, we've never, no church has ever taught that. When you wing it, bad things happen. So the encouragement, the do part of this is, you guys, for your jobs, do something in order to maintain your knowledge. So you need to do the same thing for your faith. And everything, the beautiful thing about the Catholic Church is everything is free. It's all free. It's wonderful. You can go online and you can print off the entire list of everything that we believe for free. It's called the Catechism. It's on the Vatican website for free. You can go to, we have this great online encyclopedia of Catholic information called form.org. Every parish in our diocese has a subscription to it. And guess what? It's free. It's wonderful. Catholic Answers. Bishop Barron's Word on Fire series. Anything. You all should always have something that you're learning about the faith. Always. Always. So that way when people come up and ask you a question, you might actually be speaking from something more than trying to remember, well, what did we say uh, you know, 15 years ago when I was in eighth grade confirmation class? I showed up late most of the time because, you know, okay? Enough said about number five.
Number six, how am I doing on time? Ooh, golly. Again, I'm a new priest. I can talk for as long as I want. Number, number six, don't focus on numbers. But rather... Oh, yeah. That was not planned. <laughs> but, but do focus on speaking the truth in love. This is always something you hear, you know, sometimes people, I mean, maybe you don't do this, but I, I heard this in seminary. People kind of keeping a tally of like the number of people that they've spoken to and that they've led to Christ. And, you know, I've, I've converted more people than you have. I've spoken to more people than you have. And again, that falls into the idea of like, oh, you know, we're, Victories. These are people to be conquered and, and won. Mother Teresa said, we are not called to be successful. We are called to be faithful. We are called to preach, to witness, like the gospel says, to scatter seeds. And I want to read this, this passage from 1 Corinthians because this is so important for us. This is something that I thought about when my sister was talking about what she said. She would always say, like, I've spoken to, you know, I've mentioned things to people over these years. It feels like, you know, it feels like I don't have anyone to talk to. It feels like no one's a person of faith. But I said, Rachel, God isn't saying, like, you need to go and you need to like, grab people by the hand and drag them across the street to the church. You are called to scatter seeds and then let God do his work, you know? So 1 Corinthians 3, 7 to 10, this is a message of great hope. And if so, the man who plants, the man who waters... They count for nothing. God is everything since it is he who gives the increase. This man plants, that man waters, and it's all one. And yet either will receive his own wages in proportion to his own work. You are a field of God's tilling, a structure of God's design, and we are only his assistants. With, with what grace God has bestowed on me, I have laid a foundation as a careful architect should, and it is left for someone else to build upon it. You do what you can. You scatter seeds. Sometimes you're going to be a different part of the harvest. You're going to be part of the watering, or maybe you will actually have the benefit of reaping some of the harvest, seeing someone come to Christ. But you are called to be faithful, to scatter. Number seven. Don't try, this is much very practical. Don't try to answer everything even when you don't know. But do admit that you don't know the answer to, to something, but always say, I will find out and we can talk again. Okay? That gets back to the winging it. If you answer, this, and I'll, I'll say this, this is usually the case, again, I told not to generalize, so I'm going to generalize. <laughs> it is usually the case with people of the Protestant faiths, especially the more fundamentalist, Bible-based Protestantism, very, very well-versed in the scriptures, being able to quote chapter and verse passages, you know? And they assume, many Protestants, erroneously in my opinion, but they assume that Catholics know absolutely nothing about the Bible. We know, as, we're completely illiterate. Sometimes in practice it feels like we're illiterate, but if you go to Mass every Sunday, you are hearing huge amounts of the scriptures. If you went to Mass every day of the year for three years, you would hear 85% of the Bible. If you did the Liturgy of the Hours, which is the prayer the priests and nuns pray, and then it's open to everyone, if you read that, you would read 96% of the Bible in just 
a three-year cycle. So you guys, if you've been doing that, you have been hearing the scriptures. It is part of the air you breathe. You don't even know how scriptural the Mass is. Everything is from the scriptures. We just don't, oftentimes we're not able to say, oh, well, of course, that comes from Ezekiel, and that comes from you know, the book of Jonah, and that's from the gospel. So what I'm saying is many Protestants assume that we know nothing about the scriptures. Take advantage of that. Use that to your advantage. People assume ignorance about us. That gives you a little bit of space to say, hey, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. But let's get back together. Give me time to like, research this, you research this, and we can talk about it. It opens up, your presumed ignorance opens up an avenue for more conversation. That's pretty cool. Also, the added fact of humility. Humility is attractive. If you don't come across as a know-it-all, people are like, okay, I can actually talk to this guy. He's not going to be, or gal. I'm, I can talk to this person because they are able to have an actual conversation. They don't have to know everything. And a smart preacher knows what he doesn't know. That's pretty big. And embellishments, lies, mischaracterizations, they damage the life of faith. They can often sour a relationship. And the other part of it is, you know, many people assume ignorance about us. Don't assume that the other person you're speaking to also knows everything. Conversation. Conversation. And the last thing about this is, don't bend facts, don't bend quotes, don't use loaded combative language, okay? You don't have to defend every individual soldier on the crusade to say every last one of them was this, you know, Mother Teresa, they just happened to have a sword and were killing people. You can, there's, there is humanity in the church and in the faith. And we can learn from our own past mistakes. You don't have to defend everything. You don't have to know everything. So use that to your advantage. Number eight, and after this, there's only two more. I'm doing all right. Got the thumbs up. Number eight, don't allow conversations to become a barrage of unanswered questions. But do focus on one aspect of the conversation and then try to deal with that thoroughly. Anyone that has ever spoken about the faith with someone who has a lot of questions or a lot of criticisms, Tell me if this isn't how it goes. I'll tell you my experience as a priest. Why can't priests get married? Well, that's an interesting question because in the God, oh, well, why can't women be priests? Well, you know, that's another interesting question. Why do you pray the rosary? Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's uh, why do you say that you eat Jesus? Okay, well, uh, maybe we can hold back a little bit. I'd like to go back to the whole, the first question, and then it's just boom, 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 and then you get so flustered. Child, well, what was the first question? What am I answering? Why do we eat the rosary? I, I, I. And, and then, and then, and then, how does the conversation end? You're overwhelmed. They have asked one thousand questions, none of which have gotten answered. And so, clearly, if you can't answer the question, you're supposed to be a person of faith. There mustn't be any answers. Ah, I won. Okay, and you walk away feeling like, oh my God, what, what was that? I just wanted to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> so, the important thing is to focus on clarity, on accuracy, and on truth. Ask the person to stay on point. Ask them to say, well, you want to know what? I'm going to just focus on one thing. You have a lot of questions. I'm going to focus on just one. And let's really get to the bottom of this. You have my permission, not that you need it, 
to slow the conversation down. Because everyone always has tons of questions. The importance is searching for the answers. Life is not just about asking questions. There are answers to be had. Be part of that process. Don't become overwhelmed. Don't become emotional. Because oftentimes there's a lot of there's a lot of personal baggage that's packed into these questions. You know, these many times people that ask questions about the faith, well certainly they're not bad people. That's a statement of truth. A lot of times they're asking questions in general because there's a personal reason why this particular thing is 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 difficult for them. It's hard for them. And you getting emotional and flustered is going to kind of re-cement the damage that was already done. I'll tell you the one thing that's very difficult. Anyone that comes up and has a criticism about confession, I guarantee it is because they were yelled at by a priest. Guarantee it. In confession, they went in in a time of vulnerability and confessed. And the priest, we're not assuming anything bad about the priest, asked a question that was interpreted wrong or had a harsh tone, and they took it as a personal attack. Here I am being vulnerable, seeking God's mercy, and I walked out feeling like I was a dirty sinner, as opposed to feeling like a forgiven saint. So, recognize that aspect. Slow the conversation down, answer one question. Number nine. Don't shy away from being or getting personal. But do share your experience, your journey of faith, your own reasons for your love for Christ and for his church. John Paul II, he spoke about this. There could be, you can be talking to the smartest person that has the answer to all the questions. And that's wonderful because we need the truth. But what is even more beautiful is to see the truth lived. People come to ask questions, not to an encyclopedia, but to other people. Your experience, your journey, your encounter with struggles and how you came to grips with them, how you found the answer, that is attractive. Beauty is attractive. So you getting personal, showing how the faith that you found and that you live, the church that you are a part of, how that has addressed your deepest needs as a human being, your deepest desires, your quest for salvation and meaning and purpose. Your experience with that speaks to other people who have similar experiences. Because all of us, we were created for God. That is a truth. Everyone has the same desires. We were all made for God. But you giving a personal, being personal, using a lot of me and I language, right? Psychology 101. Using a lot of that language to explain your journey of faith, that's beautiful. And never underestimate the value when doing this of being reasonable, of being kind, of being understanding, of listening to other people and recognizing where they're at but also seeing their potential of where they could be, that's amazing. It changes people's lives. So, be personal. Very personal. And the last one, I'm not even going to explain it, I'm just going to say it. Don't act as if the idea of evangelization or apologetics, the idea of preparing, 
praying, of actually speaking about the faith, of living a life that's consistent and, and integral. Don't act as if this is some huge burden. Oh, got to tell people about Jesus. But do smile, laugh, get joy out of the fact that you are spreading the message that is saving the world. That you're part of this, part of the winning team. Right? That's something good. That's something that should put a smile on our face and that all the people that you're speaking to are not enemies, they're not combatants, they're not adversaries, but people that are called to be on the team too. You know? In little ways and in big ways. And the last part of that is when you're smiling and you're laughing and you're be being joyful, then you have to actually go out and do it. Okay? It doesn't just stop here. This is just the beginning. The rubber hits the road tomorrow when you go to work. Right? Tonight when you see your roommates. Thanksgiving when you go and talk to your family members. Right? Lot of potential brown there. <laughs> I'm sure. So, that is it. And we will go ahead and open it up to any questions that you guys have. Um, anything specific that would help you apply this to your life. I'm sure Father McCarroll would like the most difficult questions. <laughs> Please. All right. So how, so how would you, in, um, when, debate, when uh, debating with uh, people who are secular, address uh, the problem of evil, but do so in a way that would create a, uh, a, uh, a respectful conversation because almost every talk I've heard was what has communicated with, with um, someone who is secular or an anthropologist uh, speaks with them one on one, it almost always uh, results in like one, one of them like just raising their voice and the conversation is almost completely breaking down. So what, is, there, is there something that could be done that would have at least a high probability of preventing such a statement, such a conflict? If I had the answer to that question, I would probably be a very rich priest. <laughs> <laughs> so I do not have the definitive answer. So the question was, many times in, in discussing or having conversations with people that are um, usually of a, of a more non-religious bent, even though people of reli uh, religious backgrounds ask the same question, one of the big stumbling blocks to a life of faith is the problem of evil, which is basically phrased as, if God is all-powerful, and God is all-good, and God is all-knowing, how can there be evil in the world? Because if he was good, there wouldn't be evil. If he was all-knowing, he would be able to stop evil. If he was all-powerful, he would be able to undo evil. Right? Very philosophical. But that's basically what it is. At the more personal level, it usually stems from, like I said, anyone that has a big philosophical, people have philosophical questions, but it usually stems from a much more personal reality. Why did my little brother die of cancer? Why did you know, my sister-in-law die in childbirth? Why did this person get abused in some way? Why are the people, why are those little kids in Rwanda, you know, why, any number of things. You, there is evil in the world, you know? I would say, one thing about talking about the, 
how to make it not become emotional was, was one of the things that you were saying. The way that you make it not become emotional is that you don't become emotional. If you know that you're going into, this is, this is a key for the spiritual life. You have to, everything that you do, you go into it with prayer, right? That's why it's so important to start the day with prayer. Because you don't know what you're going to face during the day. Lord, give me the peace and the courage to be able to face whatever situation you put in front of me. And it's a particular key when you're speaking to someone about something as emotionally charged as evil, because they're not going to say, like, you know, my so-and-so died, why is there evil? It's usually the more philosophical articulation of it. And the key is you recognizing that how you're speaking to people is, 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 is speaking to their personal experience. So by you not becoming emotional and you being understanding, that's a good way to not make it emotional. Now, dealing with the, the problem of evil, again, I'm not going to, I can't give you like the perfect argument like if you're trying to find. I, I would recommend that you watch Bishop Barron on the, on, the, on the problem of evil in the Catholicism series. But one thing to, to think about, the church does have an answer to the problem of evil, and it's called human freedom. That's the answer to evil. God willed that we be free. He didn't will that we be robots. And part of freedom, he willed that we, he willed that he would be limited in some way. He would be held off by our freedom. This is an interesting reality because, just like we see in the scriptures, God could not force Adam and Eve to not eat the tree, the apple from the tree. It wasn't an apple, but the fruit from the tree. He could not force us. He can't force us not to, he can't force me to not have 20 beers tonight and then drive home. Can't do it. Can't do it. He has chosen to limit himself. That's how much he respects us. What we do with our freedom, that's what we call evil. That's one way of at least starting the conversation for people to recognize that. Even the people that want to be the best, I know everything, I have all the answers. They recognize that there is a certain amount of darkness that comes from our freedom. That it is something that can be used for the greatest of goods, and that it could be abused. And that's why we see the darkest of things when freedom is being abused. That's evil. So again, not the end of the answer, but when someone asks a question and you're thinking, why is there, why is there evil in the world? Not because God is you know, some puny pipsqueak you know, up in heaven that can't do anything. It's because he loves so much to make us free. And with that, he knew he was frankly taking a gamble. But he was willing to take it out of love. Mic drop. <laughs> um, you framed a lot of your talk as responding to questions people have about the faith. Um, how do you approach um, speaking with someone that isn't asking any questions, but you'd still like to share the gospel with? Wonderful, wonderful question. The first thing is witnessing. Now, I, I love the focus model of, I can't remember their cool little catchphrase, but it's like, I'm just Wind build, send. Wind, build, send. I love that. But basically what they do, and I think this is so important and why I focused on the idea of, of, you need to be a person of faith that is seen as a person of faith. Because that will attract people to you. Okay, If not to ask you questions, it will kind of put them in your sphere where you're able to recognize this person 
has qualities. And, and I would say, so that's one thing, is they bring you into your sphere. So if you're living, uh, if you are a person of integrity, a person of consistency, consistency is so important in the life of faith. To say something and then not do it, that's what we call sin. Um, to say something and not do it, that is why there is so much difficulty, because people see hypocrisy among believers any type of believers, but they see the hypocrisy, and hypocrisy is poison. So that's why we need God, we need confession, in order to bring the division between us together. So you being a person of consistency will bring people around you that you'll be able to recognize, you know, the things that they've said are leading me to believe that they're thinking about deep things. Or they've said, you know, people don't just happen to drop in conversations around a priest. Oh, I used to be Catholic. Okay. Usually people say things because it's on their heart. They want to speak. You use those opportunities. They mention that they were faithful. Ask them about their confirmation scene. Ask them what parish they were raised in. Ask them something about religion that you know people joke about. You know, you, you go to mass on Easter. You know how long, how many readings there are. It's so you know it's so long. Or I don't know something that people would try. I don't know. Um, the other thing is. Um, it's the simple things. Little invitations. You know, when you're going to do something, some type of service, you're going to go pray. I mean, this might be difficult when you're at, like, a federal office or you're at a public school. You can't be like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going down to the teacher's lounge to uh, pray the rosary. <laughs> Anyone want to come? That might, not be, that might not be something that, I don't know if you're, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. I don't know if you can do that, but... Um, but you can ask and invite people to do things. I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to go to the church and do this. Oh, what are they going to say? No? Okay, that's the worst, but at least you've offered, right? But the thing is, first of all, being a person who can offer. Because if you just go up to someone randomly and go, hello, you, you know, do you want to come to church with me? Maybe they'll say yes, but that also comes across as kind of weird. <laughs> so the relationship, the consistency, that's important because that puts people kind of around you. You're able to pick up on things that they've said or things that they've done that you're able to invite them to. I would say that's, that's a thought. Yes, ma'am.
someone was asking, how do you do it? I said, it is for the, I said that I work for the, for the glory of God and to further enhance the spread of the gospel. And my point is that how can um, we affiliate ourselves, not with just one particular person, but with other people around us? Like, for example, St. Ambrose, uh, St. Philip, St. Leo, no matter what church you come from, no matter what your background or anything that was affiliated. I've heard once in a talk before that from a priest, he said that one can sanctify the workplace. How can one be able to sanctify it through your witness and from a saint that always keeps coming back to me, St. John Dukes, he says that um, that you have a duty, you have a goal, is that is this kind of thing that, that you can be able to pursue in your life. No matter what it is, <clears throat> you tap yourself first. And then, in the words of our Lord, um, lay your gifts at the altar and be reconciled to your brother. Okay, saying, how can we be more open to the flower, like St. Therese? other people around us, especially your co-workers or anyone, anything like that, how can we be affiliated to what is surrounding us? Mm -hmm. well, I think you answered your own question uh, way better than I could. So, I mean, you're, well, first of all, it is my pleasure, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Right. Um, because Saint, my, my parents and St. Philip are having a hard time with their youth groups. Sure. I'm mingling with other people, like around, I am trying to be the example, like all saints, St. Ambrose, St. Veronica, everyone here is on the whole of them, from a different church, church boundary. I'm just trying to see a lot of people that one can mingle instead of being the one point of the parasite. I think that is so wonderful. That goes back to what I something that you said it better than I did at the beginning of the talk about looking around and seeing all these people. I mean, you guys are from, you are a representation of the young, Bishop Laverty always talked about, you are the young church. <laughs> I can't do his voice though. But, but you are, you guys are the young church from all different areas. And, and it's so wonderful to see you here. And like you said about consecrating the workplace, sanctifying the workplace, exactly like she said, this is, you know, how do you win people over? How do you show people that you have something that's matter, that matters, that you have something that's worth living for? Is you live it with joy. If you can smile, Mother Teresa said, world peace begins with a smile. When you think about that, it's because the smile shows that you have something inside of you. You know something that's worth smiling about, and that is that Jesus Christ has saved the world. But then also smiling at someone else affirms them and says, you are someone that is worth smiling about. You are a person of worth and dignity. So the smile, joy, eye contact, all of that stuff shows, the little things that we don't often think about, all of that shows that you have something worth living for. And that's wonderful. So, very, very good. 
Very, very good. And, and the St. John used I'm a huge fan of. Other questions? Or no, wait, we have to stop. I think we're actually Next. Dumb, dumb. I will be here for a little afterwards. Questions are two for one. <laughs> Deal? Let's give her another round of applause.